0: Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith, about faith, with Jonathan Stormon. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center.
1: Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was but we are going to protect Christianity.
0: Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. What's up guys, welcome back to uh, Bonafide. I'm here today with my friend, Greg, who we went to Harding. And were you at ACU when I was at ACU or were you just in Abilene?
1: Uh remind me of the time. I I finished at ACU in two thousand six.
0: Yeah, so I I was there too
1: for a while.
0: Yeah. You did. You worked for the Abilene Reporter News and now Mm -hmm. you have I, I would say taken a parallel move, like a sideways promotion, working for a paper called uh what is it? The Paper of Record, I believe, is what its nickname is. Yeah. The old grade lady, the New York Times. You are the international something photo person, um, photo editor. Yeah, one of for the, the New York uh, Times uh, man. How how yeah, helpful was yeah, yeah. the Harding connection to the New York Times? I assume there's a lot of <laughs> alum.
1: Um, you know, I. I mean, that, that's a may, maybe a more circuitous route, but, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot of, you know, the joke is when you tell people where you went to school, you just kind of mumble it and they're like, oh, Harvard, cool, because nobody has really ever, ever heard of the place. Um, no, I, I mean, I think some of the things that, that allowed me to get to where I am now, uh, obviously because I, I was shaped by a lot of the experiences I had, which included where I went to college, where I went to grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I can see in retrospect, the path that, uh, where I am now is because of where I've gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, I don't think I would be here doing the job that I get to do if I had not lived the places I've been, if I had not gone to ACU and studied what I studied, if I'd not gone to Harding which had led me to ACU. Um, right. so it's 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 almost impossible to decide or or determine you know which choice exactly led you. So it, uh, the the sum total of all the all the places I've been. So in a way yeah Harding did help me get here.
0: Yeah. So I have so many memories of you Greg. One uh, you were the guy mm-hmm. who introduced me to Mike Cope. Do you remember that? Really? Yeah, like the uh, lunch that we had, Mike and you and I had, I reached out to you because I was in a grad class in Abilene. I was working at the Hills in Fort Worth, and I knew you were friends right, with right, Mike. Right, uh, Yeah, man. Yeah. And so we went to lunch at, I think it was Rosa's on... Um, <laughs> Very likely. Yeah. And anyway, um, and that was great. And then... Um, I remember it might. It's either you or Jordan, and I think I've talked to you about this before. And you said it was It was Jordan. Where did you grow up, Greg? Uh, I grew up in South Africa. Well, Tennessee, South Africa. Okay, Tennessee, South Africa. Is that like a part of South Africa that?
1: No, no, Tennessee, and then South Africa. Yes. <laughs> okay, because your family was. Uh, like my mom mom's mission. in Tennessee, and my dad uh, grew up there. Um, my family okay. has been, part of my family's been from Africa for like 400 years. So he, uh, he grew up, was born in a little mining town in what's now Zambia, and some Church of Christ missionaries after World War II went over there to, uh, you know, uh, start some churches. And the, the story I was told is that somebody knocked on my grandmother's door and said, hey, we're having a... A vacation Bible school or something. She's like, "Great, take them, get them out of the house." So all the yeah. all the kids started going to church, and then that eventually led to my dad came to Harding in the seventies, met my mom, and
0: that's all she wrote. Yeah. So you grew up in Tennessee, South Africa, and then I heard it's either you or Jordan that told me this story. There was a heavy set African woman who was. Um, without a top, who was getting baptized? Do you remember this story? I don't. This, this okay. must have been
1: my brother because I don't. I don't remember. It was this. in.
0: I know it was in the uh, Harbin dorm first floor that a Kindleball ball told it to me. Um. And anyway, so they baptized this woman in some river, but her top didn't go down. And so in one oh. brief saving moment, the person baptizing put the elbows <laughs> and helped her all get into heaven. And yeah, wow. Okay, so that no, was— No, m- must have was, been Jordan,
1: because I, I, I never lived on the first floor. I was always on the third or the second,
0: so— <laughs> Well, no, it wasn't—I it wasn't, don't think any of us lived there, because I wasn't on the first floor. I oh, think we were okay. All, yeah, we were all hanging out. What did you study at ACU? Journalism? Oh,
1: no, no. Um, I, so I, I finished my, my undergrad at Harding and realized that I was not prepared at all um, for what I had hoped to do, which was to move to Africa, to some kind of church work. And so uh, uh, someone I had met through a workshop, told me about the the program at ACU. And so I went over there and started out uh, doing an MA in missions and then Mm -hmm. decided I didn't want to do that. I switched back and forth and then eventually just took the MA that I had the credits for. I dabbled in an MDiv for a minute. And then Mm -hmm. at that That point, I was just really ready to be done with school. (laughs) I think I was sitting in Fred Aquino's patristic (laughs) epistemology class and just thinking
0: "Ah, i'm kind of done i want to stop reading
1: 500 pages a a night um, did you understand any of
0: those books that aquino it feels like aquino just throws you into the deep end of like i had to have a thesaurus and a dictionary and to understand aquino stuff
1: I was t- uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a friend from Abilene came to visit and we were getting lunch and I was talking about how, like, I feel like I used to be smart. <laughs> like, <laughs> I looked at Amazon. <laughs> On Amazon, you can see like everything you've ever bought from them. So I went yeah. back to the early days and looked at some of the the, the books that I was buying and and reading and writing papers about and looked at some of the papers I, I wrote. And it, in a lot of ways, it feels like that was somebody completely different. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think I did uh, understand some of it. I, I, I've always enjoyed, I guess, the, the intellectual side. You know, I think it was one of the things that, that attracted me to, to academia or going on for mm-hmm. a graduate degree after Harding. So I I liked it. Um, I liked the, I liked the approach, you know, the the seminary approach of the seminar where you go off and you read a bunch of stuff and then you sit in a room around the table and you just argue for three hours. Um, And a
0: queen was that? fighting. Sure. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, so this, this idea, you know, we, we just, we got to explore ideas for, for three years. We would all do a lot of reading and, pulling in different threads from different classes and trying to, you know, kind of understand what it was we were trying to do. And then, and just really kind of hash it out. Um, it turns out that's not, not for everybody, <laughs> but I enjoyed yeah. it while I was in it. I think I felt, I mean,
0: I'm, I'm looking back on this a long time ago, but I remember liking it at the time. I felt really stupid in Aquino's class and then I felt like he was one of the most helpful people because he, he taught me to love philosophy and um, to think think yeah. deeper. Um, and he was a church member. I was the preacher at Highland, who you used to be a part of, right? Yeah. And then, but we we were never we didn't really overlap um, in in my time at Highland. But Leslie had a late term miscarriage. And it was really sad and tragic on the day of our final. And Fred Aquino stinking lied for me. Like, I, ju- I told him I was super sad. I was in the, And he was just, he, he told everybody, Jonathan's sick. And I know that was an act of love. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry for outing him for lying in public, but <laughs> it was a very gracious thing he did. So tell me, tell what what happened. You're going to be a church planner in Africa, um, and you took a severe demotion to work for the New York Times. Now in your 40s, what <laughs> what happened between uh, you know Cersey and Abilene? What started happening to change your life trajectory? Oh man, so I mean, I I didn't want
1: to. Overthink this, or you know, prepare too much. But sure. I've been thinking about, you know, what is what is the how did I get here from mm-hmm. where I started? And I, yeah, you could you could blame Osama bin Laden. You could blame mm-hmm. uh, George Benson. Um, really, um, <laughs> those two never get you know, blamed in the same sentence. <laughs> really, uh, surprised nobody else has made the connection. But um, I. So I, I guess going back to this idea that you, you never know, it's not, you can't pinpoint one. It's not like I just woke up one day and was like, boom, I don't believe any of this anymore and just took a, a massive right. step. It was always, uh, a, a, I guess, something I learned or experienced um, led me to, to make a, a slight turn. Uh, and in my head, it's always been sort of away from the rigid fundamentalism of the church mm-hmm. of Christ. I, I, Uh, one of the things that I, I guess, you know, early on, I guess I was a lot more, uh, reactive, um, um, I guess not, not as generous towards faith in general, the church in particular. And that's one of the the beautiful things, right? About the church of Christ is that it is, it is not monolithic. And so Mm -hmm. that, um, I'm I'm aware. Not everyone had the same experience, but growing up in the the churches that I did um, in in Tennessee, in South Africa, uh, even even back in the U.S., um, it was not the the loving, gracious. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very much about rules and getting it right. Um, this, uh, you know, I, I remember like. You know trying to convert other christians who weren't even getting christianity right it was this, sure but but like there was the baptists uh, Baptist, catholics i mean barely um but it was yeah i just I, there there was a right way to do things in a wrong way It was very black and white you mm-hmm. were on this sort of knife's edge that you know it was kind of pre pre ordained that you were going to go to hell Jesus yeah. did this thing that kind of helped you out a little bit, but you could mess that up really easily. Really easy. And so it was. It was always this sort of just waiting for the smiting to happen. Um, and that was that was kind of the, the way I understood it. You know, I I went to college. Um, I think some of it was reinforced there. Uh-huh. Um, I remember, and again, you know, I I was there from I was at Harding from '97 to 2001. Uh, I, I hope I understand. Maybe things have changed, but I, yeah. I remember there was this old old guy. I can't remember his name. Probably for the best I was like the the preaching preaching teacher or something. And this this like his his hermeneutical hammer or whatever was command, right. example, or necessary inference. That I remember him saying so clearly. So I had just come back from spending a summer in Africa, and we had done we were in Uganda or something like that and went to a village and these villagers wanted to celebrate communion with these American brothers and sisters who'd come. And it was like on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And so we had some chapatis, which are these like tortilla things Mm -hmm. and some Coke because in their mind, it's about sharing the symbolic meal that celebrates what we have in common. And, and it was like, can, can we do this? I mean, and then, you know, had this experience and it was great, and then come back and and this guy, I can I can kind of see his
0: face. I don't want to. I, don't, I, I know I, kind of don't I know his name. I think we Maybe. were in the same class. Did you Might did you and him wind up yelling at each other? Maybe I, I think not, yeah. Out of the it wasn't it wasn't just you. It was I mean it was a very heated and it was multiple days. And I do think that was the worst class I had at Harding. <laughs> I remember Possibly. thinking then that was the beginning of the end of the old Church of Christ guard, because they did not have. Maybe. We brought up like Hezekiah's you know, like asking for forgiveness for ritual but celebrating the Passover the wrong way. You remember this?
1: The this oh man flashbacks, I and mean, this was twenty five years ago almost. But but yeah, it was like, how mm-hmm. can this guy say that that was wrong? Right, his whole his whole belief was that the Bible does not mention Coca-Cola or chapatis or Thursday. And then, and that just sort of, uh, you know, okay. So, so that, that sort of experience, I guess the the whole, what what I'm trying to say, I still remember some of my Bible. There's this parable of the sower and the seeds Mm -hmm. and sometimes the seeds fall on hard soil. And then sometimes I guess the seeds of my walking away from faith were, fell on soil that was tilled somewhat by, um, that. Um, and then I remember again, like I, I, I feel like in college I was more of a a nerd than like, than anything else. Um, the the academic stuff just came easily for me. So I could, I could sit in class and listen and then write papers and it, it didn't take just a whole lot of work. I didn't, I didn't make straight A's though until, uh I got married and was encouraged to actually study. But I could just mm-hmm. kind of coast and get good enough grades that I could go, you know, play softball or, you know, do the fun stuff. But I remember uh there's another class. I think it was on the Pentateuch maybe. And I don't know oh, how I went down this rabbit hole. No. Um no, it wasn't wasn't Fortner. Um I remember who it was. <laughs> um well, i i I don't think it's it's. I don't think it's slandering, but uh, it was Neil Pryor's class, who I think you know really, really sweet guy, beloved, yeah. but I think you know had a certain worldview. Right. And i I wrote this paper. It was it was one of these where, like, I don't know. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, when I was at school, you had to take a Bible class every semester, no matter what your major was. Uh, and most of the Bible classes, there were two credits. But if you were a Bible major, to get that third hour, you had to do uh, an extra paper or something. So, so for my my third hour paper, I just I remember going to the library and I stumbled across some study that pointed out some linguistic similarities between right. the uh, the Enuma Elish or the you know the the Gilgamesh creation epic and Genesis. And just wasn't it interesting? I didn't. I didn't make any, conc- like I was a, I was a junior, like I was not a scholar or a linguist, right. but I just thought it was interesting that you had these two people living near each other at the same time, had this story that had some overlapping elements, wrote it up, turned it in, got it back. And I got like a C on it and I'm I flipping through the pages because back then we had to print our papers in the lab because Yeah, this was all you know, Stone Age, um, Mm -hmm. and there were no red marks because I remember Doctor Pryor being kind of a stickler for grammar and punctuation, and he would knock you down. But there was nothing of that, so I went to to talk to him about it, and he just said, "You know, you're this could cause people to lose their faith," and it just sort of struck me like, "What are you Um, talking about?" I'm just I'm I'm asking questions. This is something that I've learned. I think it was that moment that I decided I needed to go get a real education. And I know that sounds ungenerous, no, but I'm with um, you. I, I th- think, I think there was a lot of the faculty when I was coming through, a lot of them were church of Christ preachers who went and got uh, maybe a doctorate, uh, maybe an education or, you know, a master's degree from some, but it seemed like the, the overarching goal was to you know maintain orthodoxy. They weren't, Their version of Orthodox. Right. The few professors who encouraged sort of deep thinking, critical thinking also had to be kind of guarded, I felt. Like they couldn't encourage you to really ask those tough questions. So the day that I went, first day of, of graduate school at ACU, I think it was Mark Hamilton's class. And it was basically like, you know, I came in thinking, okay, I've got a Bible degree from Harding, like I, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing, and it was just like everything you thought you knew about the Old Testament, just forget it. We're just gonna start from there. Like everything yeah. you think you know is probably wrong, and uh, for the first time, I felt like, wow, I'm surrounded by people who who take this seriously as right. a, as an intellectual pursuit, not just. We want to we want to create more preachers to go out to the churches. These these were folks who you know studied at Harvard mm-hmm. and Oxford and Yale Divinity and Princeton. Like they wrote books, they thought deeply, and I was like, okay, this is this is going to be fun.
0: And they still but believed it, in God. I mean, it wasn't like just just uh, for people listening. Um, it's not like Neil Pryor believed, and Neil Pryor was like you said a very kind, generous man, but uh, Mark Hamilton. Believes in God, but he also is very open to asking questions. And um, you know, if the if the linguistic similarities of the you know Epic of Gilgamesh and Exodus are similar, then he's going to point that out.
1: Yeah. So it, I guess in that way, you know, I guess from from birth. I mean, I think I was I think I was taken to Harding's campus when I was two weeks old. <laughs> My parents were living just over in, in West Tennessee. And so, you know, I, three times a week going to church, you know, all, all of the stuff. I think it had been building this sort of faith, which was a fundamentalist in the, the technical sense of that term. And then you you study or you have these experiences and it just sort of starts knocking out some of those pillars um, mm-hmm. that you would build your, your faith, or your understanding on. Uh, Some of them I probably, you know, intentionally dismantled because I was like, this is, this is not, I don't think this is true or accurate based on, on what I've studied or, or, you know, led, or people that I've met. Um, So so I think there's, well, I don't, I don't know if there's a statistic, but like 50, 50 success rate for seminary that people who go uh, about half of them come out the other side not believing or have some kind of you know pretty different belief. It seemed like among my my cohort, they either stayed in the Church of Christ and stayed in ministry, or they went you know no church, no religion, no faith, or they went to something like Episcopal. <laughs> they wanted Episcopal the high is, church, you know. Yeah. So whatever, whatever that that was, but I, I guess yeah, it was just sort of every. Every semester, maybe I would I would study or learn something new, and just okay. I no longer believe this. I'm I'm a little more maybe open-minded. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I don't think Baptists are going to hell because they didn't you know do things the right way. Um, but I I would say the main reason I I, I threw out Bin Laden George Benson <laughs> is for me. I think the thing that made it the easiest to, to walk away from or, or did the most to, to to disintegrate it was the nationalism mm-hmm. and the, the 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 wrapping of the cross in a flag and just right. I mean I remember we were still in Cersei um, I I had finished in 2001. So that summer, but my, my wife at the time was still finishing up her last year. So we were in, in town when nine 11 happened and that was, I was working at the the staples down the road, um, got up that morning and you know, TV was on and it was like, Oh, somebody hit the world trade center. It seemed like it must've been an accident. Right. Nothing, nothing bad. And then watching that happen throughout the day, it was either that night or the next night. Uh, a bunch of people got together and, and had some kind of service at the Benson. It and this Baptist, was some kind of. It was all the Christians. Remember that? I Well, what I remember was just. And, and I think maybe it's important to remember. So I, I did not grow up in America. Uh, I spent, you know, the first part of my life here, but I grew up overseas and came back uh, basically to start college. And so I feel like those years really uh, shaped my thinking in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So I, I don't and I never, never really have considered myself like a, a patriotic American. Yeah. Um, but then we, we, then we have this attack on this city and we know that there's thousands of people dead. And I just remember, almost immediately it was it was pitched as some sort of this was a religious thing that these people were enemies of god because they were enemies of america that they had attacked america because it was such a godly i don't remember all the details but i remember for years later finding the the bible that my wife had at that event and all the passages that were sort of like underlined and marked from that that time it, it basically was like America's a Christian nation and we were attacked because of our belief in God and Islam is our enemy. Um, that, I guess that was a, a little seed. And then I go, yeah. I go off to, to ACU the next year and I was there as a, as a grad student when uh, the American studies Institute invited Ann Coulter to be a oh, distinguished
0: gosh. lecturer at Harding. You're an AC but this happens at Harding, yeah.
1: This yeah, I was I was gone, but I was still, you know, connected. I had friends mm-hmm. there. Uh, and mostly it was just like, what what is happening? This was a lecture series that when I was there, you know, had brought people like Margaret Thatcher and Mikhail and Gorbachev, Gorbachev and yeah. like these are these are serious people. I may disagree with their politics now, but they were not they weren't jokes. And they right. brought in ann coulter who at the time you know was very famous for saying let's go let's go invade the middle east and bomb them to hell and and convert them to christianity basically at the point of with, and I the remember bombs. Thinking, with bombs i like i'm i'm not being mm-hmm. re- i'm not i'm not I know, m- she like, was. you can look up crazy yeah so there was there was a there were a few of us who were like are we are we cool with this or should we say something like and again, I guess as part of my my studies at A.C.U., um, there's a guy named Mike Casey, Michael Casey. His brother Sean later worked in the Obama administration. He was a, I think he was like a church history professor at Pepperdine. And through some of his works, I I really started uncovering more of the the Anabaptist roots right. of the Church, church of Christ. That That's right. That it it was a uh, it was very much like not interested at all in politics. That's I think right. I heard a story like back during one of the World Wars, FBI agents would be listening outside the church because they were like, "These people are not patriots. They're not. They're not promoting the war. They're not promoting service." You know, Church of Christ members were conscious, uh, conscientious objectors. That's right. But then something happened. I think maybe by the time World War II came along, it was a uh, there's a definite evil. We can tell that this is evil. And so Church of Christ people are now signing up as chaplains and leading soldiers and telling them you can kill certain people. It's for a, for a, you know, whatever the, the, the whole, the right, the right reasons are. And then studied or learned some of the history of this American studies Institute um, was created by, and I'm, I'm probably going to flub the details because this was a long time ago and I was interested in this, but George Benson, came back from China and with some others decided that the, the way to really save America to protect America from these sort of like godless communist people was Christianity, conservative politics and, uh, capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so created this, this, this Institute to further those ideals, not, You know, let's love people, let's take care of people, let's, you know, build water wells. Or doing it, it was nope, let's let's get political power and influence the government. So I guess that was another sort of I don't know if I agree with this. This is not this doesn't gel with what I'm I'm studying. And then I remember being at Highland one Sunday. People don't know, Abilene is home to Dias Air Force Base, which is a a massive Air Force base, home to uh, one of the squadrons of the B 1 bomber, which was Mm -hmm. very heavily used in Southwest Asia, which we went to war because they attacked us, Uh, you know, whatever you want to think about those reasons, but we didn't bomb Saudi Arabia. Um, But as part of living in that community and then working for the newspaper and covering it, Dias Air Force Base also had this massive C-130 uh, contingent. That's like the pickup truck of the Air Force. Um, and some element from Dias Air Force Base was deployed overseas. I mean, to, to be frank about it, to kill people. That's mm-hmm. the whole mission of going to war for 3,650 days. Like there was 10 years where some group from that town, from that community, was deployed. And so, you know, there I, I don't know how many people there were at Dias or from Dias at Highland. But not many. It was it was a it was a it was a Sunday I and I you know, at this point I probably already started having a lot of doubts. I was not, I guess I would not be invited back to be a chapel speaker at Harding by that point. Um, <laughs> I think that ship sailed when when we got Ann Coulter uninvited, and they said some very nasty things about the president at the time. Um, but just this idea of like, you know, what 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 difference does it make being being a Christian in this world? And I was sitting there. We had this, you know, Sunday morning service. There's songs. There's prayers comes time to take communion. And I guess at this point enough of, we, we had talked seriously about what, what are these things that we do? These, uh, these rituals that we, we do every week or multiple times a week, they are intended to, to shape a certain kind of person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of, of communion and the, the deeper meanings behind it. And I just looked up and there was a guy from Dias and his t-shirt. Um, Had uh, like a buff soldier looking guy in camos with a trash can over his shoulder and a bunch of brown arms and legs sticking out of it. And it said like, taking out the trash. And it was very, they they were also like jokingly, you know, the peace symbol, but with the the B1 bomber, which has that, that shape about it. It was this idea that, that they were, I don't know. I just, I could never reconcile the the Jesus that i had you know claimed to follow and study and, and understand um could be like yeah let's go let's go take out the trash um and right. then to do that to have this guy be so, i mean to to go and take communion and wh- right. whether he thought about what was on his shirt or that's just the shirt that was clean that day it was just this disconnect that oh yeah that when when I looked broader, I'm just like the the larger larger evangelical community, and I, I think churches of Christ would would fit into that somewhat. were so in support of of the war, of the military, of of gaining political power. Um, you, you saw it this week, um, mm-hmm. Supreme Court. Wade. You know the, So for me, I guess. What I studied, what I experienced, I I think, you know, I went into ACU, I would, I would say I was, I was pretty clearly a homophobe. I said all the, all the things that I was taught to say about loving the sinner, but hating the sin. And, and then one of my classmates turned out to be gay and watching the way the institution treated him versus how they had treated straight sinners. I guess that was like another little disenfranchisement, but At the end of the day, it was just a a sort of, where where I am now is I really believe religion is, um, it's a a myth-making, story-making, sense-making mechanism that human beings have. um, And that because we, human beings are just incredibly, narratively driven we make sense of the world and our place in it by stories and that's that's what religions do is they, they give you a story in which to situate yourself it says where we've come from how we're supposed to live maybe what happens to us when we die but started studying maybe it goes back to that first paper where it's like oh here's another religious system and its origin story I, I couldn't any longer believe that the one story that I had been told from as early as I could remember was the only one that when you start talking, excuse me, you know, capital T truth Yeah. that I remember talking to a relative who was convinced that if she had been born on the side of a mountain in rural China, a hundred years ago, she would still be a uh, a Christian today that somehow the overwhelming truth of, of that Creation. story would have reached her there and she would have, you know, seen, seen the light. And I just, I can't, I, I can't imagine that happening. Um, that, that we are shaped by the broader culture around us. And then by the, by the stories that we choose to choose to believe or allow to shape us. and,
0: so I guess I, for
1: me it was like you can't can't believe in once you stop believing in Santa Claus you can't go back to that sort of place of naivete and and flip that back on again. And so once that that got knocked out for me it was it was a lot
0: easier to to yeah, to not believe. There is a French philosopher who says you can. You remember that you probably heard about the second naivete, do you remember that?
1: Maybe. So, but
0: it, second naivete, I think, is what I got to. But it doesn't mean go back to believing in Santa Claus. I think... Um, okay, so... Everybody believes stories. What's the story you believe now?
1: Now? Yeah. Uh, I guess my... my overarching story is that we are we're born um (laughs) we live for 80 80 years if we're lucky and then we die and that's it on a on a grander scale uh i i think i think the jury's still out on how we came to be here our species our our life form that we're you know consciousness is the universe's way of thinking about itself all of that i mean i I don't know i don't believe that in the beginning there was void over the face of the deep and some Mm. entity spoke and created the world i also don't believe that there was a dragon and some warrior shot an arrow and blew her up and made the world and i i don't I, I don't believe in, in those. I, I think what happened, and, and again, this is just this is where, I, where I landed up. You have a bunch of people sitting around trying to make sense of the world. Um, it may not be the most generous or the most accurate, but you, know, you think about a group of people been living in the desert in, in the Near East and some foreign conquering power comes and just kicks their ass yeah. and hauls them off to another, another country to go live. And they're sitting around a campfire one night going, "What in the world?" We thought we had this figured out." And then there, you know their neighbors around them say, "Okay, yeah, no, this is how we, this is how the world came to be. And these are the rules that we should follow. And this this group wanted to, to set themselves apart. And so they came up with a, a different story, a better story, that the world wasn't created in in violence and warfare. There weren't gods fighting and and there were no dragons. So they, they came up with a, a story that says, Our God is so powerful. All he has There's to do no is, is utter the world into existence. Yeah. And then that explains, we you know how we got here, and then the 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 rules that make us different, you know, don't boil a goat in his mother's milk. Like that, that's what those people do. We're going to be just don't.
0: Keeping... I hope you're still keeping that rule,
1: Greg. Uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I
0: might dabble in it now that I, I
1: know I won't go to hell for it. But, you know, I I love a good cheeseburger and that <laughs> would put me on the wrong side of, yeah, you know, O.T., ot god um i haven't i haven't cut the corners of my hair in a little bit but um i'm i'm wearing polyester shorts and a cotton shirt so you know i i would have been smitten a bunch um so i think i think yeah that that over time people living in different parts of the world were reacting to their natural environment i remember early uh she probably didn't mean to but Janet Fortner, John Fortner's wife. When I was taking, uh, it's a Western Civ.
0: Yeah, I she talked about Western like the,
1: the 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 differences between you know the the world view of the people who lived in Mesopotamia was hugely shaped by the two Potamias. The <laughs> you've the got these rivers that, <laughs> the 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 rivers flood violently and right. unexpectedly, and then. Shockingly, you've got these gods who are capricious and you never know what they're going to do. Yeah. Just a couple hundred miles to the Southwest, you've got this Nile river, which floods like clockwork and the flooding brings life to the plain. And all of a sudden, like their gods are very orderly and it makes sense. And we know if we do this, then the gods will do this and keep up their end of the bargain. I mean, just those two. Sure. Sure. Over generations, you've got people shaped by that story, and then, along comes some Moses, and then some David, and you know, boom! Now we're here, and we've still got people, you know, blowing each other up over a rock in the Middle East because these stories have such power. But is there
0: is but, there such a go, thing? Go, go. Is there go ahead. such a thing as good and evil in this story that you're believing? Like in the story in the story of you seeing that all these religions are just kind of made up in their social settings. um, Is there such a thing as good and evil or do you go the kind of Nietzsche route and yeah, say, Look, I mean, it's it has, all power. It's, it's all like, so civil rights, uh, civil rights are good because they won.
1: You know, I, I don't think I would be that cynical. I think good and evil is, is relative, right? That, uh, what, whatever those systems however those systems are constructed what would be good is something that furthers those those goals or those aims and evil would be anything that that disrupts it or or goes against it um, because but but i i don't think i don't think there's anything that's just you know on its own good or evil that could be personified or 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 even isolated. Um, I think if anything, one thing that I I still am am working on constantly is getting out of the, I I do think um, I was shaped a lot and I have therapists who back this up. The the church I grew up in with its very Mm. binary black and white thinking, something is one or the other. And it doesn't allow for the nuance or the gray area because on its own, any given act, could be
0: neutral yeah it's I, when I mean, you when you add on you know can i say something for listeners about this because i see this all the time and i try to tell parents i try to tell like church leaders uh, randy harris taught me what it's called the bow and arrow theory and the tighter something is pulled back the further it flies when you let it go so I, I mean, like if you if you raised up in kind of a legalistic Pharisaical environment where, mm-hmm. it, then and part of it, like, so if you if you make a lot of extra rules that God didn't say in the Bible, then when people start figuring that out, they start to like question a lot more that actually might run into some historic Orthodox Christianity, not the not the stuff that you've just made up to protect your version of it. So I really appreciate you sharing this. I do want to get back to kind of okay, so I care a lot about you and I'm not trying to I'm I'm not trying to like change your mind. But there you mentioned nine eleven. You know, I've had I had friends starting when I was 25, who started walking away from faith, and you being one of them. And I, for the last 10, 15 years, have been trying to figure out, what is this? Like, what has happened? And I I do have some responses and answers now, because the stuff that you just told me is a very specific worldview I would call religion uh, in the sense of the Latin word, Religament to bind it together, so it's secular materialism. And, um, you know, when you die, it's we're worm food, you know. There, so, but here's my question before I get into that, or we get into that, unless you don't want to. Um, what do you miss? Is there anything you miss? Oh, yeah, I mean,
1: on a practical level, uh losing that community that's sort of like baked in wherever you mm-hmm. go that's right you know you, you you've got a oh I'm, I'm new to town i need some people to help me unload my moving truck you know that's who right. to call and mm-hmm. th- there'll be a bunch of people there to do that um or if i'm sick you know who's gonna come visit me at the hospital there the, that's the story co- creates a community that is, is sort of there wherever you go you can go to central Africa and find some, some kindred spirits, you know? And so I, I miss that. Um, I miss, yeah, I guess the, the, the community I liked having, um, or or feeling a sense of belonging to, because we, we share this, this narrative or this, this idea, we're all trying to help each other, you know, get to a, a certain point. I don't know. Um, I miss some of the, I was going to say singing. It's hard to, to tease that out. I guess so much of this is also just wrapped up in nostalgia. Like there's mm-hmm. there's stuff I miss from a kid um, that I just miss because it, it's no longer around. So, but because the church right. was such a part of my life forever, Um yeah, I mean I guess it's kind of weird if you think, you know, we're just we're just out floating through space. Um <laughs> nobody's out there looking out for us cosmically or right, geographically, but um no, uh I mean I think the the core that would be there's a lot that I I don't miss. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> um, like all the baggage that comes with F&2. And you know, I was talking with a friend yesterday about, you know, for example, Roe versus Way and, you know, politics is such a blunt tool for a very complicated issue. And while historic Christians have been like, you know, pro-life, there's a lot of nuance between, and, and by pro-life, I mean like, you know, they, th- for the first 300 years, they picked up the exposed babies that were being killed and they say, mm-hmm. which was, um, <clears throat> so there, but there's a lot of nuance between, you know, like I mentioned earlier, my wife had a DNC, um, at six months because the baby had died in her womb and it was incredibly yeah. tragic. You'd be a criminal now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like a part of the challenge for people who are, you know, Christians in America today is it's pretty embarrassing. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, I don't want to be painted with the same brush as, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, (laughs) But I also, and I I honestly think a lot, a large reason that a lot of my generation walked away from faith was because they just kept being like, that's not me. That's not me. I don't believe that. So, you know, I vote for Jesus of Nazareth every four years, Craig. My mom always says, We can't, we, great, we get to look forward to another four years of self righteousness. But it really is that Anabaptist thing. Like, I think the church is the hope of the world. And um, I, 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 go ahead. You can push back on that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I would you know, okay, here's the thing. Maybe the worst thing that ever happened to the church universal was Constantine mm-hmm. that go go back to the catacombs then. Make make your life and your story and your your narrative so compelling that people join it willingly. And not when I say you, I'm I'm talking sure. evangelical, conservative Christianity, whatever. This idea, look, I don't, I don't care what, what your belief on abortion or forced birth or pro, you know, whatever the all the languages. Like, what gives? Th- this, I guess, this impulse towards power, of saying our worldview is so correct, we right. know what's better. Okay, I, the the Supreme Court also ruled on this uh, this coach praying. Up in uh, the north northwest somewhere. Yeah, it, you're telling me if this is Coach Abdul getting out his prayer rug and leading Muslim prayers uh, on the fifty yard line, that evangelical Christianity <laughs> is going to like go to go to the Supreme Court to fight for his right to do that. What I what I see is not we have this beautiful, welcoming identity. We we want people to come along and, and be part of this. It's this. We want to control,
0: and we want to set the rules. We want to be in power. I mean, there's there's plenty of people you don't want to be identified with who are secular humanist. Um, I don't want to be identified with Christian nationalism, um, because I and I get it. I mean, I get that, but <laughs> there there's not. So here, here's the thing at Highland. That story you told about the person who did that—I can't imagine that happening. I mean, that was like a one in a thousand thing because we were pretty, you know, like uh, anti-war. Um, I mean, one of the challenges we had I mean, was right, loving to, soldiers to be fair. I, war.
1: Right, and to be fair, like I, I stopped. Darkening those doors a long time ago, but I mean, and, uh, we we could point counterpoint all sure, the time. Sure, yeah. Um, I I I go I go back to another experience I had where, and again, this sounds so so ungenerous, but it was a, it was like let's have a Super Bowl party. The church was trying to be more involved in the neighborhood around it, which is not where a lot of members lived. Um, The people who lived around the church were pretty different. different. I don't think they always felt welcome. And so somebody had this idea, let's throw open the doors and let's have a Super Bowl party. We're going to put the thing on the big screen. We're going to have food. And and I remember it was sort of shut down because it might soil the carpets and the new upholstery or something that had gone in there. And it was like Uh – if if like how how does that yeah how is that reflective of, of that that was not I, I don't know it was really hard to get past that let so me, like what what are people being some, shaped by?
0: Let me tell you some stories about Highland. And Highland had all kinds of problems, but that church that I pastored for eight and a half years, um, though that church got through that in very Jesus ways. So.
1: I'm glad
0: right. to hear that. Daryl, I'm going to tell you about a few people. Daryl, who passed out communion in sweatpants, who was a meth addict for 20 years and got clean and sober. He's um, one of my favorite people at Highland. Um, he sat, him and his wife sat on the front row and they would eat Cheetos in service from a bucket, from a bucket, not like a bag. Um, <laughs> I mean, there there was this guy named Roy who had mental disabilities who would walk to Highland until people started giving him a ride. He would get there at, like, 6 in the morning, and he, he wanted to pass out communion because it was a place where he mattered. A couple of times we had to get on to him for taking stuff out of the offering plate. <laughs> but, like, the, I, I, the church that was Highland, it was really messy and really, like, um, wonderful in the ways that would be hard to be angry with like oh i'm sure and and there's so here's here's the thing like one of the questions i had for you is how can we still be friends and but i don't want to get to there yet because one of the things i would i would encourage you to to do is to remember the with a generous spirit, the stuff that was good as well, because I think the national narrative largely overlooks, you know, and and by the way, I get it. Like I, I, if I was voting, I probably wouldn't vote the way that, you know, this Christian nationalists are voting. Um, the, So I understand the frustration, especially, you know, like working at the New York Times and living in New York in a very pluralistic place. I understand the frustrations of like, you know, rural, more Christian conservatives seeming to win the day with power. Um, I don't think that is going to be a long term thing. I mean, I think their their power is is slipping more and more Um, and it it'll be. but there's churches are going to always exist in America. They're, they're really struggling because the secular materialist narrative is winning the day specifically among people of European descent, which is white people. Um, Although black congregations and people from the, you know, immigration immigrants, you know, there's more missionaries coming from Africa than going to Africa now. Because Christianity is blowing and going in the global South, as you probably know, uh, there's a Yale professor who says when people make fun of Christians, they're not mocking who they think they are, which is probably like a, you know, forty year old single mom of color in Brazil or Venezuela. Like the typical Christian is not this George Benson, me or you. Um, and it's just continuing to go. And I think the best parts of Churches of Christ, which to your credit or to your point, became legalistic, sectarian, and um, Pharisaical. But the best parts of Churches of Christ were we were Anabaptist. And I'm trying to help lead back towards our better impulses. Like that letter that James Harding wrote to the Department of War um, called Prepared for War for the First World War. I'm actually reading that Sunday in my sermon, quoting Jesus, loving your enemies. And, And if you're okay with it, I might say, hey, I have a friend who one of the reasons he walked away from faith is. But so how can we still be friends? Because I think there's some stuff that you probably really appreciate about Christianity even if you don't believe it. And like, for example, if you come, if you move to Arkansas, how could you call me and us help you move? Wouldn't you like that still?
1: Sure. So I guess going back to our friend Fred, one of the, the best things I learned from one of the, the things I remember, because it's not, you know, some arcane philosophical term, um, I remember he always encouraged us to raise our ambiguity threshold mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to have a little epistemic humility. Humility. That's right. And that, I think, back to your point, the, the Christian nation, the nationalist bent of the church has zero of that. They may right. say... Uh, you know, humbly, we ask to be given complete power over people's lives, but it, there's no, there's no <laughs> humility. There is no. Uh, I guess this is one of, the, one of you asking, "What do I miss?" I th- this this may sound uh, backward, but I I feel like I'm a nicer person without Jesus in my life oh, than man. I was when I was a Christian because I used to be. Uh, I guess I was very like we have to have a ready answer for the, and, and anytime somebody's not doing it that way, they're wrong and must be corrected. You know, this kind of mm. approach. Um, so I think with the encouragement of some of my, my seminary professors, it just, you know, I've, I've been very privileged to get to travel a lot and see a lot of the world. And I can be, I can be friends with you the same way I can be friends with a lot of people. You know, uh, when I was in grad school for journalism, I had uh, Fulbright scholar friends from uh, Romania. You know, who'd grown up under communism, from Kashmir, who's lived with the the partition of, of you know of their country and growing up under apartheid, and just you you come into contact with these different people, and there's there are things that you can appreciate about all of their lives and cultures and and. Languages and religious practices are not the same way that, that there are, there are like one of my, the, the people I, I keep in touch with, and maybe because he is more broadly an a Baptist is a Mennonite pastor out in Oregon. Hmm. But because whenever, whenever we talk, I sense that he has some of that, that humility that uh, he doesn't have everything figured out. And I, I could never see him running for congress or trying to you know take control or tell people it every time i've been around him it's been much more of a this is what i found helpful this is what our community believes this is you know welcoming and inviting not a if you don't do this you're going to go to hell forever and ever it's going to be really bad let's emphasize just how bad hell is and why you don't want to go there so uh you know don't be gay don't do all of these other things. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I have I have Muslim friends, I have secular friends. Uh, I think you is
0: secular friends.
1: M- m- yeah, I mean, may- maybe because I-, I do think losing, even when I was a-, a Christian, I guess part of my journey was leaving. You know, some of the, the fundamentalist stuff. I kind of stopped believing in hell before I stopped believing in God. Um, which I think was was helpful is um, once you're no longer afraid of winding up in a lake of fire forever and ever which really just doesn't sound pleasant once you're not afraid of that it it sort of opens you up to to thinking differently about things um we and I I don't know but like you said it, it, it is very it is very particular my my story if if I had been raised uh, in a different kind of church or heard a different kind of message, one more of of love and kindness and service, not we want to take over the reins of government and create a world that we are comfortable in. Who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have wouldn't those seeds would not have found such um, fertile soil. Fertile soil.
0: Yeah. Jinx. What do you do with Jesus? I like him.
1: Was it Gandhi who said, "I I like I like Jesus, but not he, <laughs> not Christians." Not Christians, yeah, um, yeah. But I do mean, you think he, even?
0: Go ahead. Do you like what kind of world do you think would exist without if Jesus of Nazareth hadn't existed? Would you like it better uh, or worse?
1: I don't know. I, th- I think there's there's a somebody else would have come along. A good teacher, um, I, I think the 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 world that Jesus paints is is kind of attractive. Um,
0: the kingdom of know, God.
1: Yeah, helping each other out, um, letting each other off the hook for you know sleeping around or whatever. <laughs> His, the, 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 the person Jesus was compared to. You know who we were told Jesus was the books written the the laws built up around him. Um, no, I, I think I think the guy was. But then again, I, I read a lot of Walter Wink back when I was yeah. still in seminary, and and Renee Gerard Walter Wink's Jesus one, is a little different.
0: You're the one who told me about Renee Gerard and Mark Heim's saved from sacrifice. Um,
1: yeah, uh, you know Rene it goes back Girard to that Anabaptist. <laughs>
0: It does, and Rene Girard, for those listening, was a Stanford uh, anthropologist, highly educated professor, who asked the question: Why, wh- and what point in human history did the victim start to become, uh, like, a hero? Um, and that, and so he starts researching, and he goes all the way back, and he finds, and uh, no point in human history until Jesus that happened it seemed like jesus threw his his life into the wheels of history and was crushed and somehow turned the wheels a different direction and to the consternation of his peers at stanford rené girard started becoming a believing christian so i i th- one of the reasons i ask about jesus is because i feel like you know he's he's got really bad pr <laughs> um One of the hardest things to believe in Jesus for me is not the resurrection. I wholeheartedly believe the resurrection. It's the ascension. It's that he left us and left these people in charge. It's like...
1: Uh, Yeah, I get that. I think, well, okay, so I guess I don't believe that. I don't believe in the resurrection or the ascension. I think there was there was a person who lived and walked around and had some cool lessons to teach people and some people listened and then by the time he was dead, the stories that we have about him, you know, were were written down or, or passed along a long time ago a long time after that. There were probably some accretions, some additions. So for me, I guess this also goes back to you know, the, the, the Walter Wink Anabaptist, nonviolent, John Howard Yoder. Um, it, it also ties back into this idea of you know can can you be a, a, a good Christian soldier and, and kill people ever? Mm-hmm. I think the church universally has said that yes, there are certain conditions under which killing just war, is fine. yeah, yeah. But I remember the I don't remember which class it was, but even before then there was a sort of dismantling of the myth of redemptive violence, which. That would be my thoughts maybe. The... No, this was in, this was in grad school. Okay. Um, yeah, it might've been Mark Love or, or something like that. No, or maybe, maybe it was a, a Quino or maybe it was a, an independent study. Cause I just went off on this tangent and really got into, you know, these nonviolent, roots but it was a way of rethinking the 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 salvation moment or whatever from Jesus was not the crucifixion the sacrifice it was his his appearance that Christmas becomes much more important than Easter because uh, I think this comes out of Walter wink or Walter Brueggemann. Well, there's a lot of Walters Walters yeah but if you if you believe that violence somehow can be redemptive, that it's okay that God killed His Son, you know, for the greater good. This this act of violence uh, is worth it because it led to the salvation of all mankind. If you if you if you don't buy into that myth, which is you know where we get things like I mean I remember I grew up on GI Joe. Those are the good guys running around killing people because there are good guys and they're doing a good, you know.
0: And the axis of evil is over there in those people. Hey, let me me say something to fairly represent the Christian faith. I don't think God killed Jesus, and I think that's a, a mischaracterization. I think it misrepresents the participation of the Trinity in the life of one another. And so God participated in that, not caused it. We okay. killed Jesus, right? I mean that's like Rene Girard one oh one. Who killed Jesus? We did. So but here here's here's one of the issues that I have with secular humanists. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of secular humanists because I think you have Christianity. I think you love Christians. I think it's the kingdom of God without the king. Um what what I mean by that is you like you're nonviolent, Greg. That's not normal in human history. Some days. Yeah, right, right. Um, you you think that you should be kind to the people that you disagree with, also not normal in human history. Like the word kind without comes promise from the word, of
1: reward or right. threat I, of punishment. So
0: I think you're deeply Christian and Nietzsche would say the same thing. And I, I'm a fan of that. I really am a fan of that. I think um, I think you you've taken some of the best things from Jesus of Nazareth and um, My concern is, and this is a legitimate concern, I don't think we're going to be able to pass that on to the next generation. I think Gen X or whatever the people born after 1996 are called are deeply Christian in their morality. They care about the oppressed. They care about the vulnerable. And they have very little why for why they care about it. And I think the next generation is going to be like, they're going to Nietzsche their butt. Like, why is this? Well, well, let me let me push back on that a little bit. Sure.
1: Is it is it that these values are Christian or are these values just positive good and Jesus happened to believe the same things? Like do they exist apart from Jesus or I'm assuming in your in your worldview the trinity Jesus as part of that are the source of these good values or could it be that Jesus, a prophet, a teacher, is one of many wise men throughout history who have said, it's better to be nice than to run around, <laughs> you know, smiting people?
0: Is- forgive forgive people, let you off the hook for sleeping around, I believe, was your, your summary of Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> um, which is, I, I love it, I love it. Um, no, that well, was, okay. that was the, the drawing in the
1: dust. And the, yeah, uh, that's uh, John 8, John 8. Yeah.
0: So... I- Nietzsche would say no, that's not. And Nietzsche is my favorite atheist. Him and Fuerbach, which your your um, stuff earlier on human beings creating like the Jews are in exile. What the heck happened? That's Fuerbach is the best atheist for you on that. Um, I think I think Karl Barth said about he would open his seminary classes with Fuerbach. And he would say, this is the beginning of wisdom and the true departure of all Christian thought. Because if you want a God that you make in your own image, you do not want the Christian God. Like, um, I don't know if you keep up with Richard Beck still, probably not. But he he has some stuff on the stunning self-critique of the prophets in the Bible. And the way that the people in the Bible just were like, "At it. Like... Fat Amos, fat cows of Bashan, like, um, and and so, like, I think one of the great things of the Christian tradition and the Jewish credit tradition is they think they didn't make this God up. And so they're, um, like, right now, I, I'm preaching from the prophets a lot because you don't get to make this stuff up. You know, human beings' lives are, any, anyway, I'm getting off. But so Nietzsche would say um, your your idea of kindness and niceness is really hatred of the strong because you don't get uh, you don't get a strong society by catering to the weak and the marginalized and the oppressed um, and that was actually the invention of the Jewish people. so Nietzsche he actually loved a lot of Jews, but He hated Christianity for what it actually was. Um, And so like his book, The Gay Science, um, he talks about, that's where his famous quote, God is dead. And he's just saying, you got to take this. He, He hated, you know, philosophers like Immanuel Kant who was trying to make God a deist God but still use him as a moral imperative. And so, anyway... But my my question to you, I guess here's here's what I've noticed in almost every one of my friends who have walked away from faith. You're the first one who hasn't brought up the Bible that when they started realizing that the Bible wasn't this like the foundation of their faith and it could be, you know, um, although I guess you did with your Pentateuch paper. Um, but the number one thing that people assume that I think is different than Christianity is that human beings are basically good uh, or the human nature is basically good and it's maybe corrupted from society or Christians or church or religious religion is this kind of outside force that makes them worse Um, and that hell is extremely problematic. Um, Those are the, those are the three things. Does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah. I think,
0: I think within my construct,
1: all of those things have a, have a place.
0: So human beings basically good? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that is where we would probably start to disagree. Like, Uh, I don't think human beings are good for each other with each other to each other when, when they don't get what they want. Like,
1: well, so then, but then that's, that's well, yeah, but then what am I trying to say? I think maybe we don't disagree, but if you, if you agree that in a state of, you know, whatever neutrality, Maybe they're not good, but they're neutral. It's when you start in yeah. uh, bringing in things like scarcity or jealousy, right. or you know, then then I don't know. But I think, I think in my my experience of getting to, to travel and meet people in different different parts of the world, um, yeah, I think the world is a lot less scary than we sometimes make it out to be, and that people are, but. <sighs> I guess part of the problem, even with that question is that there are no people, there's no, you know, petri dish grown Mm -hmm. laboratory, baked people. Everyone is a product of their broader, their immediate culture, their family, the country, the language they speak, the the traditions going back. So, you you know, you show up anywhere and you're not meeting a person, you're meeting a person shaped by X, Y, and Z. Yeah. so it, it's it's almost impossible to, to tease that out. Um, it we're, we're people at the end of the day. I think most people are they, they want the same things, which is to live in peace, to have enough, to eat, and drink, and provide. You know, they want a better life for their children if they have them.
0: Yeah, they
1: want to. They want something meaningful to do, whether that's through work or just how they want to find some meaning for their life, not just to think, well, I'm going to be here and my cells are going to replicate for 80 years. And then I'm just going to stop doing that. And you know, that's what, that's what the animals do. So I think we'd like to imagine we have some,
0: mm-hmm.
1: find some meaning in our lives. Religion provides that for some folks, but, but it, I mean, it's, it's important. You can't go back to a time where, uh, any culture has not been shaped by these forces. So
0: Sure. I don't I, know. I th- it's largely a thought exercise at that point. Yeah. I think um, there's a famous atheist, I can't remember his name, who says uh, normal people don't do evil things. Um, in order to get a normal person to do evil things, you need religion. And yeah, I think what, what I would yeah. replace that <laughs> word with is you need ideas. Because secular secular modernism has been responsible for more deaths in the last hundred years than any religious, you know, like, there's a lot of bodies what, on the ground in what do you World mean? War II. So, like, I mean, the, the concentration camps, there weren't a lot of Christians in that, unless they were in the dead bodies. Um, you, you don't think... So, you don't think I they think, were
1: good German soldiers going to church sure, on like Sunday, nominal, and showing up at Auschwitz on Monday? Normal, like, okay.
0: So you're true, true Christian confession, church, confessing church. But so here's here's the thing: the roots of like secular liberalism come from Germany and German seminaries, like Tubingen, and the you know Karl Barth stands against that. Um, and, and yet, the, so that, that whole eugenics thing that was coming through uh, Germany, that was in America, and it was under the guise of pro- progress, right? Like um, that, and then all of a sudden we see where the telos or the end point is in Germany, and we're like, oh, wait, well, let's rebrand that a little bit. Because um, I, I think the secular humanist religion is what I would call the myth of progress, um, and I feel like, like, for example, in the New York Times office, y- you guys have a religious problem that is just as much as Church of Christ versus Baptist in the sense of classic liberal versus now progressive. And it, like, you are probably more classic liberal, um, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, like, uh, versus, like we should censor some, some ideas because they are outside the bounds or potentially harmful um, versus having like a... And, and, and so I would say y'all have a religious problem, a, almost a sectarian one. And that's why I want to do podcasts like this because I actually think we have a lot of common ground and I think our relationships are strong enough to be able to model like big ideas that we disagree with. Um, I, th- I think that's
1: the only thing I <laughs> going back to, you know, I no no amount of study or, or lectures or writing papers would have changed my views on homosexuality until I realized I was in a relationship with someone who was homosexual. Sure. Same way that, and nobody's view on Islam is going to change, or even secular humanism is going to change without relationship. Because otherwise, it's just it's talking past each other. That's right. That's um, right. So I, I agree. Um, but back to your point, I I guess I guess maybe I disagree with that. That, and maybe it's just a, a definition problem. But the, yeah, the idea that, that the problem, that, that secularism has more dead body, you know, a higher body count than, than any religion. I just, I don't know if I buy that. Um, maybe I don't want to, but it, it rings false to me. Maybe because I, okay, if, if someone is like a good Christian, then they're, they're following closely, like Jesus Christ, right?
0: Right, Sermon on the Mount, and
1: and what? So, so what are they doing? Are they are they seeking political office? Are they are they uh, you know serving in the military, serving as police, as you know uh, instruments of state violence? So, uh, may, maybe it's because there aren't enough good right. Christians who are actually actually modeled after Jesus Christ in that, you know, he laid down his life for his friends as opposed That's to right. dropping thousand-pound bombs on villagers in another country because we don't like their politics or their religion. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So like, I do, I, don't I think, do. I, I I think the problem of, of the concentration camp is it wasn't, it was precisely because, like, well, I don't know. We we could go back and forth all day, but there are sermons being preached in Christian churches today that you know the the, the ruling on on abortion is uh, can be viewed in one way. Uh, you should you know vote a certain way. Certain. I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a problem that that always vexed me when I was still in the church. Can you be? Yeah, I had, I had friends in, in grad school who were training to be chaplains in the military. Right. To go and like minister to people. But maybe it's more cynical, but like to keep them in the fight. That if you go in there and you're like, yeah, I don't know if Jesus would be, you know, lining up the, the hairs in a sniper rifle and blowing yeah. somebody away. May, yeah, maybe, maybe like you wouldn't be a chaplain in the military for long. Like you're there because you serve a purpose I of the do state. I did a
0: Bible study for people who didn't believe. Um, like during COVID, we had a Bible study for like unchurched people and a lot of them were soldiers and a lot of them had extreme guilt. Uh, one of them had, had shot a 10 year old boy because ISIS had put a, uh, AR 15 in his hand and Mm -hmm. he got a command to shoot it and he just felt so much debilitating guilt. And, and, you know, what do you do with that? because he, he, he literally asked me the question, is there any way to get clean? Which is kind of a softball for yeah. a pastor. But <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I think, go back to your Church of Christ roots. Like we were trying to restore the early church, which I don't think you can do because they weren't trying to restore the early church. They were trying to be like Jesus. But the early church was you know, known for the first 300 years Um. You could not be a soldier. You could not be a celebrity if you were, you know, like if you were, they called that a vice, you know, vainglory, vanity is a real problem, especially for someone who was following a a man crucified naked and shameful. Um, the, The early church was very successful, not because it was relevant, but because it was distinct. And it did not force its... And I would say in places like the Global South and China, that is largely, you know, especially in China, that is largely what it's doing. It's growing like gangbusters right now, and I would imagine that if you were in China, the Christian faith there would be much more appealing to you than this Christian nationalism stuff that you're seeing today. Can I ask one more question, because I think I've taken a lot of your time, and I actually have to go to Harding (laughs) to speak at, oh yeah uh, the our alma mater i will i will tell them that you said hi um you so know, save that for the end before they <laughs> off campus first you're so dude you're so funny i've always loved how funny you are you remind me a little bit of jim brewer the comedian
1: goat, So goat boy Thank you.
0: I uh, I think you meant that as a compliment. I did. I did. So here's my question. Are you as happy as you were back in the days when you were a Christian? Are you less happy? Are you more happy? Are you neutral to that question? Or is it? No, I I, I think I am. I think I'm
1: happier. I think I, I feel I feel more connected to my fellow human and all, I mean, and we get to see a whole lot of humanity in a city like this. Um, again, and this it's very personal in particular, but um, I, I did, I felt like I lived in a world of near constant judgment of mm. who was doing right. Who was doing, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? So I, I feel like I, yeah. Um I, I think I'm happier. It's, it's, yeah, there's some, some probably miss about, you know, being part of a a community that's so committed to, to an idea. Um, But I I think in a way I've kind of found that Um, I think journalism is different from say accounting. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of people who are just like freaking love accounting and they, you know, really just build their identity around it. But I don't um, want to be in that group if there is. In in a way, um, I, I f- th- this will sound weird, but maybe you, you get it. Like the idea of a, of a calling, um, yeah. it it sounds cheesy. And I don't I don't want to talk too much about where I work because we do have you know rules about what we can say and not say and all that. But what I love about the the, the concept is, you know, our mission statement is we seek the truth and help people understand the world. And like, that's, that's a pretty great mission. If you want to, you know, maybe there's some overlap in the language there, but as a mission statement, the organizing principle of our work on our best days, when we get it right, I get to spend my time learning about something which uh, I've always been like a curious person and uh, having a press pass is basically just an excuse to be nosy or Mm -hmm. like tomorrow, like if I want to learn something about, you know, astrophysics, I can call somebody and be like, Hey, give me an hour of your time and explain to me this obscure, whatever. And if I was just doing that as a rando, they would hang up, but they're like, Oh yeah, sure. You're a journalist. Since I, since I, you know, became a journalist that, that, passport into people's lives and i think they're wanting to people want to share their story they want to feel right. heard and so go, going back okay to your very first question i think my my studies at harding and at acu for an entirely different kind of career had made me a, a different kind of journalist um, yeah it is it is rare I get asked to translate anything from Koine Greek in the newsroom, but we did we did have like a, a live blog on the Pope, and I was able to explain somewhat accurately like transubstantiationism. Uh, so you know I feel like my two degrees were not completely wasted, but yeah I, I think planning for a career in ministry, which if I if I think about it, you know it, it is about it's about connecting with people. It's about stories. It's about narratives. Now I just do it in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I, I kind of dig it. Um, it sounds yeah. cheesy, but I, I guess I found my, my replacement church, <laughs> my replacement of faith. But that's, it's more grounded in people and, and experiences and that the more we learn about each other, the less we're afraid of each other, the less we want to you know go drop bombs on, on each other.
0: Maybe I'm happy, I'm happy for you. Maybe man. that's
1: my second naivete
0: yeah i I think it might be, but I'm happy for you. I sincerely love the word that you use calling for what you do um and i'm I'm happy that you're doing it because I love I love the times and um, <laughs> well, Carl Barley believe- would
1: be happy right, isn't that? Not the guy who said, you know, Bible yeah, newspaper. Bible in
0: one hand, newspaper in the other. Yeah. Look <laughs> at you, man. Well, Greg, I sincerely appreciate you, man. And I'm I'm grateful that you gave up time to talk about this when it's maybe not as big a part of your life. It certainly isn't as much as it is mine. And I'm, I'm grateful for you to give up time to reminisce yeah, and I, talk about this.
1: I I vacillated about doing it. Like, what, what value would it have? But I think... You know, I still have a lot of friends in the church. Most of my family is in the church. Um, if, if our conversation causes anybody to just stop and think about, is, is your Jesus too American, then mm. it's worth, you know, an hour and a half. Yeah. And I I, I, mean. I do get I get paid I get paid pretty well um for my time. So <laughs> <laughs> not this time. If, I have five kids, Greg. <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this podcast. <laughs> it's it's worth the investment if if it if it means that Yeah. Um, well I, I I mean I think yeah, any no. any organization, any group of people should be Critiquing themselves and their, their foundational beliefs all the time. I think I agree. As you mentioned it, we're doing it in journalism. Yeah. I think any 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 faith, any group of people should be thinking about what it is that informs them, how they're behaving based on those those beliefs. And so that's right. Yeah, and we follow I a brown
0: skinned Palestinian Middle Eastern man who mm-hmm. told us to love our enemies, our neighbors, and everyone in between. So, any version that's different than that is, uh, yeah, yeah, it needs to be correct. Yeah, an old, old
1: wise man talked about the effect a little bit of yeast can have sometimes.
0: So. That's right. Very wise man. Some people say son of God. <laughs> All right, man. I really appreciate you, Greg. Thanks for making time to do this. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.